Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. What's going on, everybody? Merry first week of January. Yeah. Well, second week of January, actually. The most boring month of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really like there is nothing to report. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm about to quit my job. But I haven't decided whether to tell them or not. Hmm. And I was thinking about putting it to the creeps to see what they decide. Because, <laughs> like, your dad asked me the other day, he was like, oh, have you told them you were going to leave yet? And I was like, no. But they didn't tell me that they were going to change my job. <laughs> so I might just wait and see. Yeah. And, like, just not show up on Tuesday or mm -hmm. whatever day. Mm -hmm. And see what happens. And I was actually Googling it earlier, and it was like, technically, if I tell them I'm going to leave, they can just fire me anyway. Yeah. So it's safer for me to just say like fuck you guys yeah fuck you on your spiders the crazy thing is like if you tell them you're gonna leave they could fire you yes but because of how shady the company that you work for is if you don't tell them and you don't show up they could be they have they can choose to be petty and be like well your last check may or may not drop that's what i was worried about but mm -hmm. actually they legally have to pay me Whereas I don't legally have to tell them. Well, did they legally have to tell you about the changes of your job? Uh, I emailed HR and they just sent me a really passive aggressive uh, email back. Saying? Take it or leave it. Mm. So I don't know. Some advice from... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we'd like... We, yeah, we would appreciate some <laughs> advice. Yeah. But in just under two weeks, we will be... Well, hope in the land of fire. Yeah, we'll be back home, setting our feet in the sand. Yeah, we really don't have any, like, just nothing other than that is happening, right? No, just work and home. Yeah, I've been we playing a lot of uh, Switch lately. Um, considering streaming. No, I'm not considering. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna be all wishy-washy about it. I'm going to stream. I just haven't decided when. And also, Dulce's YouTube channel dropped last week, too. Yeah. And I feel like... Cause, well, it's up, it didn't drop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but we finally started uploading videos to it. And so there's another one coming out tomorrow as we record this. Hopefully, as you listen to this, Sunday. Search Dulce's Makeup Rewind. Uh, if you can't find it for one reason or another, just follow the link in our Instagram. It's on there. And it's fantastic. I love makeup. <laughs> Shut up. No, but it is, it's really fun though. And if you can hear that background noise today, we have a completely empty house, but a lovely thunderstorm going on outside. So, can't help that. <laughs> yeah. But it adds to the ambiance, I think. Oh, you know who dropped a comment on my uh, makeup video? Who? Justin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Justin's really a sweet. fucking legend. He is. I was like, oh my God, look at Justin. <laughs> And uh, yeah, also, thank you very much to the people who've been sending us nice messages, like just randomly, because we've had like a, a handful in the last little while. And it's just it's nice, really fucking nice. Yeah. Yeah. And if we don't write back straight away, we will eventually, I'm sure. But just know that it's appreciated. And now Dulce is going to read us a beautiful tarot card. <laughs> All right, y'all. So today's card is the three of pentacles. Whatever you're currently working on today, take a step back. To look at your long-term vision. There is good energy today. 
for practical planning. Use it to make sure you are setting the right priorities and approaching your project in the best way. Don't be afraid to seek advice from a more experienced person. Not only is asking for help not shameful, it's smart. Well, look at that. So this week, we're just going to dip our little toe beans into the nightmare that is British true crime. Okay. This is as much of a deep dive as I could manage on this particular group of lads. It's a very infuriatingly frustrating story. Okay. In terms of the outcome yeah. or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. But I just felt the need to share that frustration with all of you. Fine <laughs> creeps. So uh, why Tell not? Tell me a story, Adam. Yeah. Okay. Here's your story for the week. Story time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this episode is specifically for the girl at the gym who told me she listened with her friend. Okay. And then proceeded to tell me that we needed more murder. And then she walked out the door, looking back, saying, more murder. (laughs) I like murder. (laughs) And I don't think she meant it to be as creepy as it was, but it was like one of those, okay, see you later. And then when I thought about it again, I was like, that was fucking weird. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so if you're still listening, here you go. I hope you enjoy this. And uh, also, my hashtag, I think you're going to hate it. 2020 true crime. Uh, Oh, my God. uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I have to take as much as I can give it to you. You know what I mean? So I have to allow yeah. your cringiness as well. Yeah, we're we're both full of bad jokes. Yeah. But no, I, I do plan on covering a lot more true crime, especially in the near future. So 1978 in England, uh, Hertfordshire, I think. A group of gun-toting criminals robbed a secure core money van. One of the guards was grabbed and had a gun held to his back as he was walking from a pickup back to the van. The guard was instructed to open the doors and let the rest of the lads in. But they didn't just take the money and run. All the guys hopped into the van with the guards and they just told them to go about their daily route as normal. So I don't know what the procedures are now, but I'm pretty sure it's like one driver and one pickup guy. Yeah. And they're always separate. This meant in this particular case, that there was always a hostage in the van. So the guy doing his pickups was like, if you fucking tell anybody, we're just going to kill your friend. Ah. So you just go about your shit as normal. And eventually the guards collected around half a million pounds. I think this was only by like not even 12 o'clock that morning. And uh, the crooks decided, hey, this is it. We got it. So the guards were ordered to pull over and they were then tied up gagged and apparently left in the cubicle of a public toilet Ugh. yeah gross while the criminals stripped out of their boiler suits which they had been wearing as a disguise and then sped off with the money what's a boiler suit uh like work overalls oh okay so really easy to hide uh like a completely different outfit like a underneath. mechanics yeah yeah exactly situation. Okay. Yeah. um so it was a foolproof plan what could go wrong okay well in the pocket of one of the disposed boiler suits, detectives oh. found the key of a BMW. Oh. Yeah. Now, to be fair to the criminals, this <laughs> was a stupid move. But I think at the time, there was very few car companies that actually numbered their keys. Oh. BMW was one of them. Oh, so. that sucks. <laughs> See, that's why it's, you know, like as much grief as I give about wearing bras. The good thing about wearing bras is I can hide shit in it. 
Yeah, exactly. Like if I if if that were me, I would have put my key in my bra. Yeah. So obviously this guy didn't wear his bra that in day. My holster, if you will. <laughs> Eventually the key led to the arrest of a wealthy greengrocer named Philip Cohen. What? Yeah. Now I think a greengrocer is just a supermarket owner. No, I'm like, saying what cuz he's wealthy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like why do you have to do that then? I mean half a million pound. Like especially like back then. I didn't do the math for well, once. He's already rich. Like, of course, why wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, you could always use more money. Exactly. Anyway, Cohen admitted his involvement in the robbery to the Hertfordshire CID. We've watched a lot of Midsummer Murders in our time. Mm. And we always hear, Coston CID. Oh, yeah. I never actually knew what it stood for. What, CID? Yeah. Oh, uh, he says it all the time. Yeah. Criminal Investigation Department. Oh, I should have known. Like, it's so simple. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, Cohen admits his involvement in the robbery. And he also gives the name of the others involved. Oh, damn. Now, armed robberies were just like the in thing back in the day. Same as the way uh, bootlegging was in the last in the the Santa Claus thing. Yeah. So at this particular time, the police had set up special teams with like the Metropolitan Police to like purposefully crack down on this specific area of crime okay one of these teams of senior detectives were sent up from london to try and get the crew to crack and help clear other unsolved robbery cases because you know naturally they're like oh well maybe we can mark like you know three or four off the list instead of just this one okay and in a desperate attempt to avoid a 20-year sentence philip cohen told detectives i can go better than armed robberies big harry John Childs and Terry Pinfold have been doing murders for years. Mm, and those are his cohorts. Yeah. Okay. Now, Terry Pinfold was actually in prison at the time of the robbery. Mm-hmm. But Cohen said he knew of at least four murders carried out by these lads. No shit. Yeah. So now we're going to go to John Childs. Born in 1930s in London. Mm. Left school early, like most kids at the time. And I honestly don't know a whole bunch of other details i tried to find out but i just couldn't the typical facts that came up was he eventually joined the army but was dismissed after nine months on counts of burglary or after being found guilty on counts of burglary which i think included theft of motorcycles so grand theft auto and burglary i guess okay but like still like fairly petty crimes like at the time yeah. sometimes when i do these kind of stories i feel a little bit like when Michael asks Dwight to do research of the guests of Jim and Pam's wedding. Remember? And he comes back and he's like, she likes to go mountain biking. Or used to. Not so much lately, though. Remember? Because all he could find on the lady was like an ad for an old mountain bike. (laughs) So that's how I feel sometimes with this. Like, kind of putting together a story with very little facts. Yeah. But either way, like these low level crimes eventually just kind of carried into more serious crimes as they tend to do yeah it was like a gateway crime yeah exactly and obviously he's hanging around with the wrong fucking people yeah but that's how he got into obviously armed robbery like that was a big job that he was on and all in all child spent around 14 years in prison like on and off and it was while in prison he met terry pinfold who was also doing one of these short suspended sentences for minor crimes but terry was like a well-known criminal And he had also been in and out of prison on various offenses. But he was 
like trying to give the appearance of a good law abiding businessman. He was like a good old fashioned criminal where he had like his real businesses that were just a front for money laundering, basically. Mm. And yeah, the cops just called them cover businesses. In so all, he was pro. Yeah, basically, like mm-hmm. he, he was one of the big dogs. Uh, well, compared to Childs. So in August of 1974, Childs went to work for Pinfold at a factory that he had set up with Henry or Harry, Big H McKenney. Okay, so Big, big H. H. So what is called Big H? Yeah, Big H from now on. Okay. Now, Big H was another good old like London criminal who had actually supposedly turned down offers from the Quay, from the Cray twins to work together. Now, if you don't know who the Cray twins... <laughs> no, I don't know who the Cray twins are. <laughs> Cray twins. Now, so the Cray twins were notorious London gangsters who have had multiple films made about them. Really? Yeah, and I will try and cover them one day. I honestly don't know a whole lot about them. I just know that it's like these two were the dog's bollocks in terms of and are they twins or are they just dressed alike no, they were legit twins and oh. then there was all sorts of rumors that they were actually fucking each other and stuff too really yeah tom hardy played both of them in one of the films made about them and no shit yeah, he did man tom a, hardy's a badass yeah but apparently the movie was terrible anyway back to our story okay yeah because i probably will do a deep dive on the cray twins one oh, day cool. learn me something yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Big H uh-huh. stood at a height of six foot five inches. Holy shit. That's like Ben Kissel. Uh, yeah. And especially like in the 70s in England. Yeah. That's a giant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. He apparently had the coldest eyes known to man. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, like he Richard left Kukuna. these eyes left scars on the police officers that he dealt with. Like Richard Kuklinski. Yeah. 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 Kuklinski. Yeah. And he even had tattoos on his fingers, which are just the ultimate symbol of gangster. I have tattoos on my fingers. Yeah, but this is in the 1970s. And mine's are cats. (laughs) (laughs) Yours are cute little cats. These are... Just wait and I'll tell you what these ones were. Okay. So on his right hand... cats. (laughs) On his right hand, he had the letters LTFC, right? Which I just assumed was some sort of football club. (laughs) But on his left... But on his left hand... He had the letters E-S-U-K. E-S-U-K. Right. So when he clasped his hands together like oh, this. Oh, like that. Yeah. These tattoos were joined together to form the very philosophic message. Let's fuck. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, this guy, this guy gets it. Who is this, Big H? <laughs> this is Big H. Jesus yeah. Christ. And you have to say it like Big H. Anyway, but he, you got to think about like how he went to his tattoo man. He's like, all right, I got this idea. Yeah. All right. All right. Calm down. The two of them just giggling. Away yeah. Just doing it like. <laughs> and he's giving him his hands to tattoo like he's getting his nails done. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's how you have to tattoo him. <laughs> so then I says to her, I says, I'm going to get down. I'm going to get this tattoo. Right. <laughs> anyway, Big H was actually like a really mean dude. Yeah. But. He was also a very keen diver, right? Really? That's not a euphemism. Like he actually was like, I don't know where he learned how to dive. Yeah. But he actually had like a genuine talent for like free diving and scuba diving and stuff like this. Oh, and no shit. Yeah. I was just a very strong swimmer. And he actually designed a type of diving valve that is apparently still in use to this day. Mm-mm. Yeah. So this like factory 
which also the factory was just an old church hall that had been like i guess sold by whatever parish and repurposed as a factory but yeah he they were designing like life jackets and scuba equipment i guess so that wasn't a front like they were actually doing that i mean they were actually doing that but at the same time doing illegal they were shit. fucking hardened criminals too oh <laughs> like, i see that's so interesting so random yeah. yeah it's like we'll murder your whole family but we're also gonna keep you safe if you go diving yeah exactly if they decide to dive we'll yeah keep them safe. or he might just fuck you yeah you know what I mean? he'll clasp fuck. his fingers together yeah. and tell you let's fuck yeah but <laughs> <laughs> shark's eyes cold <laughs> like a doll's eyes um but yeah so this he manufactured this shit in pinfold factory wow like i said it was like a church hall or something like that and pinfold only actually had use of half of the factory or at least a section of it and the other half was in use by another terry right terry teddy bear eve that's this guy's nickname. All right, so there's Teddy Bear, there's Childs, there's Big H, and Pinfold. Yeah, the only ones we have to worry about really are Big H and Childs. This is just to get us sucked into the story, though. Okay. So Teddy Bear got his nickname because he used his side of the factory to manufacture... The safety stuff? Teddy Bears. No, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, right. So he's nothing to do with Pinfold. Like, he just happens to work in the same building. Uh-huh. But this guy would make his like little teddy bears and shit. And then he would sell these toys at nightclubs and pubs, which apparently was like quite a lucrative business. What? The 70s were just a different time, I guess. That's so wild. I know. Like Nothing in this story was like, hold on. <laughs> like what? Anyway, Pinfold decided he, want te- he wanted teddy bear gone. Why? I- so I don't know if he wanted to take over teddy bear, like the actual teddy bear business. Yeah. Or he just wanted the entire factory for his own use. But he felt that the only way around this was to have if, him killed. Yeah, yeah. So it was decided McKenney and Childs would get rid of teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Now, according to Childs, and this is all allegedly and according to Childs. Yeah. One November evening in 1974, the two lads waited in the factory for Teddy Bear. And this poor guy, like, he didn't have a clue. Like, he literally expected nothing. But he walked in there and suddenly there he was. And there was Childs with a big old hammer. And McKenney walked in behind him with a length of hydraulic hose pipe filled with nuts and bolts, which he had affectionately named the Wombalizer. The fuck? Yeah. Now, McKenney was the one who did all the work, beating Teddy Bear until he was barely conscious and then strangling him. And it was like horrific and really sad. Like the poor guy was begging for his life, didn't know what was going on, why they were doing this. But according to transcripts from a police interview with Childs, it was the most worst, gory, bloody, smelly murder he had ever seen. It literally left the two of them covered head to toe in blood. Why was it smelly? I don't know. I really don't like. Okay. I mean, people shit themselves and they die, right? Okay. It then took the entire night to clean up the mess in the factory. They had to stuff their jeans in the gap of the doorway of the building to stop the blood from leaking out into the car park. Yeah. Now, this is as they were mopping it down. So bloodied water or just straight up blood. I don't know. Either way, it was gruesome. I don't think either of them expected this much mess. I thought. I think they thought it was just going to be like a smack in the head and that's it. Like one and done. No mess. 
but eventually they had wrapped up Teddy Bear's body in a tarp and hidden it in the back of McKenney's car. They then told Pinfold that the factory was clear for his staff to come into work that day, and I definitely read somewhere that Teddy Bear's sister or wife and mom had gone to work that day too in the factory, and nobody noticed anything out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. But like I said, like this particular story is full of hearsay and... Holes. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And even, like, again, I, I love the, like, facts and timelines and shit. We know this now. We know this. But the one of the main sources that I used was a book. I have it written down the end. And the other main source was actually... Uh, it wasn't Born to Kill, but it was like another true crime documentary actually talking with the police who locked them up mm-hmm. and prison guards. And even as they were telling the story, I was noticing like little, like one would say like, well, it was the afternoon of the 5th. And then the next person would say, so on the 7th of the, like, you there know. There inconsistencies. Yeah, just small things, but it bugged me. So I tried to get it as straight as I could. But anyway, nobody noticed anything out of the ordinary in the factory. But the guys had plans for teddy bear's body they had kitted out Charles's council flat with plastic all over the floors and walls like dexter style and mckenney had purchased an industrial mincer or mincing machine like the thing that they use to make ground beef right i don't know what american ground like, beef you just said it a ground beef machine though oh a grinder grinder it yeah okay a meat, grinder. a meat grinder so the two boys got to work they used saws hatchets butcher knives, everything, just to dismember the body. And again, this is all according to Childs, but he says McKenney managed to saw off one of the legs in the living room before deciding it was like too messy and it was best to move all this to the bathtub. So they then proceeded in the bathtub. And when they got the body in the tub, McKenney called Childs to watch and apparently cut off Teddy Bear's head with just three swift motions of a butcher's knife. But when they finally had the body chopped up and into, like, manageable pieces, it was time to make ground human. Only then did they discover that an industrial strength mincer needs an industrial electrical supply, which they did not have in this council no, flat. No, yeah. So it was back to the drawing board. They tried flushing the remains down the toilet. That which never works. Never works. What? But this was definitely in another true crime case like i've heard of it in multiple cases but one guy was doing it consistently and i can't remember i think it was in England. yeah as well. yeah it was and then they finally caught him because his pipes were getting clogged yeah with, like, and they had to fingers. clear <laughs> yeah they had to clear out because someone went out and they were like it smelled real bad and they called someone out and they were like looking at that shit and they were like it was that emo guy it was an emo fucking guy who kept writing bad poetry and he was oh. he was from england i think that or scotland yeah that oh. i know exactly he always wore a black leather uh jacket he had glasses and i remember last podcast were like i don't know why people see him and they were like oh he's hot and like i just think he looks like a greasy loser <laughs> and <laughs> and they were probably right yeah and i saw him i'm like yeah he does kind of look like an emo loser like an emo greasy loser. So either way. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I, I but I just, can't think of the name. Neither could I. But like in multiple different cases, I've heard of people flushing body parts down the toilet and it never works. No. Ever. And the reason why they were clogged is because it was the fat 
of the of the people. Ugh. It was human fat that was clogging, clogging up pipe. all the stuff. Uh huh. So moral of the story is, don't flush body parts down the toilet. They had an open fireplace in the flat though, and so they lit a fire, chopped the body parts up again into smaller pieces, and proceeded to burn them. Now, according to Childs, it took around 24 hours of straight burning. But by the end, there was nothing left but bone fragments, which they crushed up using either a pestle and mortar or a mallet. And then they mixed them, mixed the fragments with the ashes, then drove back and forth along the motorway, pouring the ashes out the car window bit by bit. Mm. No evidence whatsoever. Yeah, slow burn. And nobody ever even came looking for poor teddy bear, apparently. What? Yeah. They so, had a wife and shit. Yeah, so, again, more holes in this story. But the lads had gotten away with murder, literally. And it was so easy that they decided they were, quote, going into the murder business. Mm. This was their new venture. Pinfold was to be the agent. McKenney was the killer. Charles was his backup. And all disposals would take place at Charles's place. And, quote, in case of anyone cracking up, the other two would just get rid of that member. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So within two months, they had their first contract. £1,800, which I didn't think was that much split between three of them for killing someone. But Big Lenny, Big Lenny Thompson, asked them to kill haulage contractor George Brett. Now, Again, I read different accounts here. One account said that Brett had been beaten badly by Big Lenny and then testified against him in court, which led to Lenny receiving a suspended sentence for malicious wounding, aggravated assault, I think, in modern times, or GBH. The other account was that Brett had actually badly beaten Lenny and Lenny was just really embarrassed about it and never let go of the grudge. So either way, Lenny Thompson asked for George Brett to get killed. Now, the plan was that Childs would go to Brett's house dressed as a city businessman, right? It sounds like an awful... Like, now we're role-playing. Yeah, literally. His name was uh, Mr. Jenkins or something like that. <laughs> but, like, he literally wore a... He sounded like a kid trying to play businessman. He yeah. wore a suit and a bowler hat and, like, showed up and, like, hello, I'm Mr. Businessman. Yeah, yeah, um, Business, business, business. <laughs> yeah, Numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I am the city businessman who needs to have his business things hauled from the place where I carry out my businessy business. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, Brett was to follow Childs to the factory, but Childs' car wouldn't start. Big, impressive businessman, but his car wouldn't start in the driveway. This meant Brett would have to tow Childs' car back to the, to the factory. And somehow this led to Brett's young son, Terry. Yes, another Terry, coming along for the ride. When they got to the factory, Childs gave the young lad a teddy bear. When McKenney shot the boy's father in the back of the head twice, 
all while Childs held his hand over the over the kid's mouth to stop him from screaming. <gasps> oh my now, God. again, like the last murder, it was like seemingly out of the blue. McKenny just walked out from behind a doorway, popped him twice in the back of the head before he could even realize. McKenny then put the gun to the boy's head and killed him with <gasps> one shot. He was only 10 years old. Now, Charles told police later that he was appalled with what had transpired, that if he had been the one holding the gun, he would have killed McKenny there and then. But he wasn't. And now they had two bodies to get rid of. Yeah. So this was just a matter of fact for him. So they took the bodies to the shed at the back of the factory, sawed the legs off of the dad so he, they could fit them into rubbish bins, and then they took them back to the flat. And then... Did the same as last time. Burned them, crushed the bones. Only this time they got rid of the ashes in a canal. Apparently McKenny kept one of Brett's eyes as a souvenir. Why though? I don't know. Like Hearsay. Yeah. Probably just hearsay. Well, this is straight from uh, Charles's confession. Uh-huh. But it just seems like unreasonable. Like of all the things to keep, like an eye is like, you know, he apparently wrapped it up in tissue paper and put it in his pocket. Yeah. It doesn't seem feasible to me. It's like no. gross, you know. Or maybe he was just saying that, like, see, he's a monster. I'm not. Yeah, he killed a kid, not yeah, me. Yeah. So next on the killing roster was Robert Brown, Bobby Brown, an ex-professional wrestler who was on the run from Chelmsford Prison, and the lads were letting him stay on a camp bed at the factory. He had supposedly seen all the blood after they had killed Teddy Bear and was starting to ask questions. The guys were basically paranoid. This guy had supposedly seen the blood, then he went to prison, then he escaped from prison and had nowhere else to go but the factory. So Pinfold and the guys took him in and were letting him stay there. Mm -hmm. He should have just stayed in prison because Childs invited him to his flat one evening under the pretext of like cans and cards or something like harmless. He was like, oh, come on, get out of the factory for a little while. And when he got to the flat, McKenny walked up behind him shot him twice in the back of the head at point blank range same as the last one brown stood up turned around and went for mckenny with the two bullets in the back of his head and then he got shot again in the face this time he was still alive and still wanted to fight and apparently big h just ran out of the room with the gun Leaving Childs on his own with this like invincible ex wrestler. <laughs> like, Whoa. I'm picturing Andre, Andre the Giant, which is like blood everywhere, like yeah. swinging his arms around. Wait, so McKinney's Big H? McKinney is Big H, yeah. Oh, I'm getting confused. Sorry, okay. Yeah, just to clarify, McKinney, it's Big H McKinney. But anyway, Big H was said to have come back into the room and hit Brown in the head with an axe, like square in the skull with a fucking axe. Childs then said he stabbed him repeatedly with various weapons because he apparently had like a cache of weapons on the wall, like different swords and uh, knives and shit like that. And this guy just would not die, like no matter what they did. But finally, they managed to get him to the bathtub where he was still alive and still struggling. And finally, Childs ended up unsheathing a short sword and stabbing him through the heart. This is all they could do. He only then were they satisfied that this poor bastard was dead mm-hmm. but one source described him as a wounded bear like rattling around in this apartment while the guys are just freaking out going like hang on a minute this is not 
how this is supposed to happen. Yeah. But the cops just put it down to his like wrestling background. Like he just had a higher pain threshold or something. Mm. Who fucking knows? Anyway, he was already in the bath. So all they had to do was cut him up, burn his remains and dispose of him. And then they kind of went on sabbatical for a little. <laughs> yeah. In terms of murders. The next murder wasn't carried out until 1978 when a builder asked the gang to kill a nursing home owner by the name of Frank Sherwood. This builder owed Sherwood some money and he was struggling to pay him back. So it was more financially viable for him to just pay these three guys £4,000 to get rid of him. Mm -hmm. They even like had it worked out as a payment plan. Mm -hmm. Like he was going to pay a £1,500 deposit and then £500 every month for like three months or something. Like layaway. Five months. Yeah, like layaway. Yeah. Sherwood was in the process of trying to sell his car, like the good old fashioned way, like in a newspaper advertisement or whatever. So Charles, again, playing the businessman, arranged to meet him this time at Big H's house to buy the car from him. And of course, when Sherwood showed up, he was promptly shot in the back of the head, placed in the boot of his own car and driven to Charles's flat, where the two boys worked as a team to burn the remains. And that was it. He was gone. So then their last murder, right, they felt like they had kind of perfected their little system at this point. But this last murder was slightly different. Ronnie Andrews was a friend of Big H's, but Big H was actually having an affair with this chap's wife, Gwendolyn. Okay. So Big H's plan was to just kill the husband, take his place and become father to the kids that were like basically just take his place in this already made family. Yeah. Because this guy already had like a lot of money and a nice house and all that. But they came up with this elaborate plan for this murder too. Like they were just getting ahead of themselves by the sounds of things. So they sent a random postcard to Ronnie's house, which was supposed to be seen by Ronnie, but it was supposed to sow the seeds of doubt in the relationship with his wife. Okay. Basically, it was fake evidence of an affair that was set up by the person who was actually having an affair with this person's wife anyway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's a mess. But the bottom line was Ronnie was to suspect that his wife was having an affair with someone from the area where this postcard came from. Okay. Then Big H would tell Ronnie that, you know, you should get a private investigator to look into that. I know just the guy. Don't worry about it, friend. I'll set you up. So, Childs, again... Role playing. Uh, he role played the PI. Yeah, he was the PI. He was actually paid £400 to pose as the PI. And when Ronnie showed up to the flat, Childs allowed him to pour himself a drink from a bottle of vodka. He was like, sit down, have a drink, relax, tell me all about this hood of a wife. And then Big H snuck out, shot him in the back of the head before he even knew what was happening. Mm. This murder was absolutely perfect. According to Childs, Big H had used a silence revolver. So, quote, the sound was minimal. He didn't even spill his drink on the carpet. Big H, who was dressed in a wetsuit, then took the vodka bottle, drove Ronnie's car to the area where the postcard had been sent to from and drove the car into a river. Okay. Big H, being a talented driver, then swam to safety leaving the car with the vodka bottle that had Ronnie's fingerprints and an open door. Okay. Childs met him at the banks of the river, pulled him to safety, and drove him back to the flat where they again disposed of the evidence. Okay. The body. 
Now, remember, the police only found all this out because Charles had been arrested over the armed robbery of the armored van. Uh-huh. So he was still he was confessing to all these murders and Big H was still at large. Oh, OK. And Big H also didn't know that Charles was fessing up to all these murders. OK. So as far as he was aware, he was actually just on the run for armed robbery. I see. OK. But just to make it even more confusing for you all. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the alibi for the robbery. Mm-hmm. Right now, this is like a side quest that we're doing here. But this honestly might have worked if it wasn't for all the blabbermouths and the key left in the boiler suit. But this was apparently the plan. and I took this from realtruecrime.co.uk. So on the 13th of June, Big H, his mistress, Gwendolyn, mm-hmm. and her two children fly from London to Marseille for a holiday. So they're in France now. They check into a small hotel. Big H makes a point of being seen in bars frequented by British tourists because he's kind of a celebrity. Like, you know, he got the name Big H from the newspapers and stuff like that. And on the 17th of June, Big H, Gwen and the children leave the hotel very early in the morning. And they say they're going to go on a camping tour of the region. They'll be back in a few days. Don't worry about it. He flies from Marseille to Paris. She does take the children camping. Big H ta- catches a taxi f- across Paris to the Gare du Nord railway station. At about nine o'clock, he phones Philip Cohen, the guy whose BMW was taken in at the start. He's waiting in a boat in Brighton, right? <laughs> Which is just off the coast of, or it's on the coast of Essex in London. So once he receives the call, he jets off on the fucking powerboat on his own across the English Channel okay, to France where he's going to meet Big H at Boulogne. I think that's how you pronounce that. They eventually get back to England, drive from Brighton to Cohen's house and then on the 20th of June, three days after, the guys carry out this armed robbery. He lays low for a few days, goes back to fucking across the water to Paris, travels back down, meets his ready-made family and goes back to the little hotel to tell everybody how nice their camping trip was. Do you know what I mean? Like this. Why is, did he have to do that? This was his alibi. So now when the police come looking oh. for him for the armed robbery, he was like, no, 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 I was, I was camping. camping in France. Oh, I get it now. See, so like the guys are like fairly legitimate criminals. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But anyway... I just had to include that because I thought it was such an elaborate fucking oh, yeah. plan. And then it follows suit, though, then with the previous murder of his new lover's ex-husband, dead husband, like planting evidence and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the police wanted Big H to think he was only on the run for robbery, but soon the media found out and blew that plan out of the water. He managed to stay on the run for three months, even losing the police in a car chase. Now, it sounded like a very British polite car chase. I think he just drove through two red lights and the police were like, I don't know what we're going to do. But eventually the police were tipped off that he was staying in a nice house in a quiet part of East London. At one in the morning on September 20th, the occupants of this house received a call. This is the police. We have you surrounded. So Big H just came out peacefully. Didn't like kick up a fuss or anything. Now, when it came time for the trial, Pinfold and Big H pled not guilty to the murders. It was literally 
child's word against theirs. John Childs's confession was basically the only evidence against them. There, there was no bodies, there was no evidence, like literally no evidence. So they got a pathologist by the name of Professor James Cameron to go check out the flat and see if he thought there was even any possibility that this story could be true. So he brings a pig with him that weighed around 160 pounds or so. He cuts it up into nice sized pieces and sets to work burning it in the little fireplace, only to find out that it was quite possible. It just took 13 hours to get rid of this entire ham mm. and all that was left was the bone fragments. The only other evidence was tiny little lead fragments in the fireplace, which may have come from bullets, but may have also come from something else because basically fucking everything back in the day was made out of lead and asbestos anyway. And they also found tiny amounts of blood spatter in the apartment or in the flat. But again, with no bodies, they couldn't even match it to the dead or supposedly dead. Pinfold and Big H requested a psychological assessment of Childs, which was denied for some reason. But a psychologist who observed, who observed Childs independently throughout the entire court case concluded that he was indeed suffering from psychopathy. He was a pathological liar and a narcissist. Childs was. Childs was, yeah. Unfortunately, this psychologist's evaluation was deemed inadmissible to the court. And still to this day would be because it wasn't determined pre-court hearing, basically. It's so strange that they throw that out instead of like this case because all they have is a criminal's murder. I mean, a criminal's word. Yeah. Against like other individuals that Basically. are equally as bad. Yeah, but they all have records. You know what I mean? Yeah, all of them. Every single yeah, one of them. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, Pinfold and Big Age kept their not guilty plea the entire time, but were ultimately convicted of multiple murders and were given life sentences each but like all out of hearsay all out of hearsay and even like so pinfold was um deemed guilty of like say two of the murders but then big h was like these other two random ones and it was just fucking strange it was a mess yeah this whole story is a mess but almost as soon as everyone was settling down in their new cells Childs wrote to pinfold and big h's legal people claiming that he wanted to recant his entire testimony he what? had been set up by the police. It was all a fucking farce. They had forced him. They had force fed him all of the information and told him if he testified, he would only receive an eight year sentence. And did he? No. So now he's all mad. He's like, oh, the police set me up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But he set up his two business partners. But like people who gave evidence against Charles in court were IRA prisoner Patrick Guilfoyle, who said that Charles had actually told him in prison that he was just stitching the other two up mm, for no reason just because well he said that they were innocent he was actually trying to cover for his wife tina who according to charles was the best butcher in london whoa yeah right i don't know where fucking tina is now like they had kids together and shit and another prisoner t also gave evidence and said that charles had indicated to him that Big H was totally innocent and that he was intentionally blaming the wrong people, sending the police on a wild goose chase. Uh -huh. Terence Teddy Bear Eve was possibly still alive, is possibly still alive. There were rumors that he had actually gone into hiding 
after finding out that he was wanted for the theft of over £75,000 worth of stereo equipment. But when a young detective, uh, James Harrison Griffiths, tried to investigate the disappearance in 1976, he had been warned not to dig any deeper by the commander at the time. He was eventually told that Teddy Bear was possibly living under an assumed name somewhere in South London, and that if he wanted to continue his career in the CID, he should just keep his nose out of it. I see. So Teddy Bear probably wasn't just making teddy bears. Yeah. So 15 years later, in 1997, Charles arranged an interview with the Daily Mirror newspaper where he described five additional murders, which even the journalist had to question, and all except for one were completely debunked by the police. And the remaining one, they just didn't have enough evidence to say whether it was or was not an actual murder. Yeah. In 2003, Pinfold and Big H were released after they appealed, and this time, Detective Harrison Griffiths told of what happened to him when he tried to investigate Teddy Bear's disappearance. Then, the murder of George and Terry Brett, the father and son, was called into question, because apparently there had been sightings of George over the years. So, like, what? Yeah. 23 years too late, was all Big H could say. But yeah. like they were two old men and like I can't remember which one, but one of them had had like six strokes while in prison. Like they were barely hanging together. like, And they had just spent the last 23 years. Like the sentence, I think, was only 25 years mm-hmm. by the time they finally got released. But they were adamant that they were innocent, maybe not of armed robbery, but of murder. So in 2014, Charles tried to make an appeal going back to the old the police made me do it. And all that I was set up, but ultimately he has had multiple psychological assessments by, uh, I think, at least three different psychologists. And although they all vary slightly, they all agree that he is indeed a psychopath. He is a narcissist and he is a pathological liar. Okay. These confessions, however, do not appear to be false confessions. He has never been sent to any psychiatric prisons or anything like it's not like he pled the insanity plea or anything and he has always just been treated as a regular prisoner i don't know how they can decide that he his murder confessions are legit confessions but then go on to say that he's a pathological liar yeah i guess what they're saying is there is some truth to this Mm -hmm. you know so maybe the people that he murdered aren't the people that he's claiming they were or maybe his team were different maybe it was his wife who fucking knows yeah But as far as I'm aware, Childs is still alive. He's still in prison. And like he was in his 80s in 2014 when he made that appeal. Oh. Yeah. So there you go. That was my little short uh, mini dive on a little bit of true crime. Because next week it's going to get real sad real quick. And I can't wait. Oh. Yeah. Real grim. All right. So anyway, guys, hope you all enjoyed our little smattering of true crime yes i think it's going to be true crime for the next couple of weeks at least and my sources this week were realtruecrime.co.uk confession confessions confessions of a hitman the john child story was the documentary that i watched and then that book that i i got specifically for this was life means life jailed forever true stories of britain's most evil killers Mm. it's not great but it's a book. 
Okay. Yep. It has pages. Like it has pages. Yeah. Well, it might. Cover. I don't know. It's a Kindle uh, <laughs> edition mm. that I got. But much like the other like bumper book of true crime things, you can sense like where some stuff is kind of strung together. Yeah. Almost. And then remember I was telling you in the reviews on Amazon for this, one of the murderers that the guy, the author speaks of in his book, his wife left a bad review on the Amazon page saying, I never said that. Like, this is all wrong. You need to check your facts and all. So I did my best to weed out the most accurate information. That's all you can do. Yep. And apologies for the word soup. But yeah, there you go, guys. Don't forget to follow Dulce's YouTube channel. Our own YouTube channel. Do whatever you fucking want. Just follow the link and our... Do what you want. There's content out there. Yeah. Consume it if you'd like. Yes, please. We'll force it down your eye sockets. Yeah, just follow the link in our Instagram bio. And yeah, that's it. Okay, see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye. Oh, it's really coming down out there. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis Nielsen. Was it Dennis Nielsen? Yeah. And he was gay. Yeah, see, look, he looks like he's the emo dude. He, he wears a... He was the one that had a, a leather... He but would he, wear a leather... But he wasn't the Yorkshire Ripper, though, right? No. Okay, I think I get them two mixed up. Yeah, he, see, yeah, see, he's a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember yeah, him yeah. now? Yeah, creep. Yeah, he was a necrophile, and yes, he was gay. Mm-hmm. He murdered 12, um, 12 young men and boys between 78 and 83 in London. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> um.